So you and all of our listeners are familiar with the story, The Monkey's Paw, right? Where just it's about wishes that get twisted into a form that makes them almost a curse. Um, I am familiar with this, and therefore I will assume, because no one else is real unless they're in my head. Okay. Well, then everybody in the our listeners w- are also aware of this story. There's only you and me and Harry Kim and all of all three of us. No, um, I feel like the disease. And we all live in it. We all live in an apartment together. <laughs> in, uh, let's say Chicago. Oh, that's great. Where uh, Balana and and Balana and Tom are going to come by on their honeymoon. That's cute. Um. I feel like the disease and coarse oblivion came from monkey paw wishes. Like, I feel like somebody said, gee, we haven't had any Harry Kim episodes. Let's have a Harry Kim episode. Maybe he could even have a love interest this time and we get the disease. I feel like somebody said, you know, I really like Voyager when it goes into the consequences of things such as Janeway's unilateral decision making. Uh, Something like hope and fear uh, comes out of that. Gee, that weird decision at the end of Demon. Let's follow that up, and they give us Course Oblivion. Like, these are the most fucked versions of those two episodes you can get. And yet I can't tell if you liked these episodes or not, which I think is interesting. (laughs) Because I I mean, I like Course Oblivion a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. The disease is just, it's there. It's okay. It's a Harry Kim episode. There's nothing really remarkable about it in really any way, shape, or form. It's just kind of there. It's an episode of television. It was on for 45 minutes. I paid attention to it. I took notes. Like, I'm ready to talk about it. But, I mean, what can you... I mean, you know, like, there's there's really nothing there. Whereas Course Oblivion is this, like, batshit crazy idea, which I absolutely love. So it's kind of a bad week for the disease because... It's always a bad week for diseases in general, but... <laughs> It's just a bad week for the disease because I feel like it's a pretty decent episode, but compare it to Course Oblivion and it just comes across as extremely generic. Yeah, I I, I can. I mean, it is one of the particularly the love is like a disease metaphor is one of the most on the nose thing that Star Trek has done. And this is a franchise that includes somebody's half black and half white and somebody's half white and half black and they're racist against each other. I mean, it is, I was really, I will say I was really worried that this was going to be the space AIDS episode and I'm so glad it wasn't. There is one. It's not in Voyager, but there is one. I I mean, there is that one uh, episode of DS9, uh, uh, The Quickening, which I, I thought was the space AIDS episode and I thought was very well done, but... Uh, yeah, the, the, it's a very, it's the kind of episode that maybe Harry Kim is writing fanfic of himself for. I kind of like that concept. I, the thing about the disease and the thing that I've realized about Harry Kim episodes, which this is going to sound like a strange strange sort of half criticism to make of of harry kim and his episodes i don't think that harry kim is well served by star trek voyager in general in the same way that i don't think deanna troy was generally well served by Mm. star trek the next generation and in a weird way they kind of get the same episodes I can't think of any Harry Kim episodes except for Non Sequitur, where he woke up in San Francisco and had to run around and escape his fiance because he doesn't want to get married to her because he's a Ken doll. Uh, is 
a weird love story. It's a it's not necessarily sexualizing him in the same way that Deanna Troy episodes did. I mean, that comes yeah, from a yeah, long yeah. line of very problematic, misogynistic storytelling, where the only way that we can figure out how to put a woman in a story by herself is to give her some sort of strange love interest. That's not exactly what's going on here. I think that the impetus for the Harry Kim episodes being about Harry Kim getting his dick wet are more of the virile man sort of idea as opposed to a misogynistic idea. But but their effect is kind of the same in a weird way because I don't really care about watching Deanna Troy have a relationship with a guest yeah, star yeah. of the week. And I don't really care about Harry Kim. I don't really care to watch Harry Kim having a relationship with a guest star of the week either. Even though they're probably coming from different places, the end result is pretty much the same. I, I, I just find myself, fr- from you mentioning, from you talking about this, doing the imagine what if, if if Deanna Troy is on Voyager and providing the slot for the counselor that they need, they so desperately need, and if Harry Kim is on the Enterprise and getting the opportunities and the training that and the much lighter career that, he, that would well serve him. Like, it, it is almost, they're both on the wrong show if you think about it. And I seem to recall that we also thought that about Deanna Troy with DS9. So maybe we just both really like Deanna Troy. And why be, wouldn't you? Because Face of the Enemy is such a fucking fantastic episode that it's just like, again, it comes from an alternate universe where they knew how to write Deanna Troy. And again, it, we, we will point out that we are talking about Deanna Troy instead of the disease. So I guess that that that, that is not, not to be unremarked. Um, well, uh... We'll find out. Maybe Deanna Troy will appear in Voyager sometime in the not-too-distant future. So I guess the question of this is, what does this tell us about Harry Kim? Because I think that... He he likes women. That's something. It it is very new to have a revelation about... I I really like the offhand mention where uh, Tom Paris is saying, oh, you're always... Going for the for for the for for the wrong woman, you've de- you've fallen in love with a hologram in seven oh nine and the wrong twin, and I want to hear that story, but that's that that's something different because it involves Harry Kim getting humiliated at the end. Well, yeah, and 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 this is I think primarily the problem with the disease again is that it's not a bad episode, but. When this is the only way in which the show wants us to understand a character, namely Harry Kim, when the only way that he gets a chance to have his own episode's plot is to be in this kind of love story relationship, it doesn't really tell us anything about the character of Harry Kim. And I mean, I'll be charitable. I don't know that anybody on the writing staff has a strong idea about what his personality is actually supposed to be. I don't really get a sense that they care about Harry Kim very much at all. So it makes it kind of strange that once again they put Harry Kim in this position of of green ensign. Again, this is why I, I like Brian and Braga's seasons of the show because they seem to be at least paying attention to what people have been saying about Star Trek Voyager. And in the same way that a few a few weeks ago we had that episode, I think it was actually Demon, where Harry Kim was like, oh yeah, I'm going to take charge and you know, I'm, I'm an ensign, but I'm a bridge officer and I have things to say and I'm not going to stop myself from giving ideas anymore. And now we get this episode where he is openly arguing with Captain Janeway, which is not anything that Harry Kim would have done, I think, as recently as five minutes ago. Uh, 
Yeah. It, it, it's, it's like, yes, I get it. The show is trying to do some character development for Harry Kim. It's trying to show that the, the, the writing staff and the production staff of Star Trek Voyager understands that Harry Kim is basically a non-entity and that he doesn't really have any character development. And they're trying to give reasons for why this might be. But And it's all fine, and I'm with it, and I'm on board with it. But it's just done in such a strange way that is fundamentally uninteresting that I have to think, is this really the best way you could come up with doing this? Well, here's the thing. This is this episode is revolves mostly around Harry Kim defying orders. And as you say, there needs to be a plausible reason for that. I'm thinking uh, – but we had an episode very recently with that revolved around Tom Paris defying orders and – that was all surrounded on, number one, he has this suddenly revealed desire to have been a sailor. And even though we don't know that about Tom Paris, he's never mentioned <laughs> that. Everything sorry, else... That's just so just so fucking ridiculous when you put it that way. It just sounds so dumb. <laughs> you're right, you're right. But with all that we know about Tom Paris, he really likes retro shit. He likes tinkering with cars from you know 20th century earth and all of that the fact that oh he when he was a kid he wanted to be a man of the sea that kind of fits with it and the larger defiance that he does we do believe that tom would find something that he thinks is right and stick to his guns on that even if and tom is going to sacrifice himself for a larger cause if he and all of that kind of gels with what we know about tom paris and that makes sense and that episode worked on that way here the only thing we know about harry kim is he plays the clarinet and i can't i mean the the, that the only other option would be this episode is harry kim wants to join a band and janeway says no and he like that's the only other possibility for harry kim in this so okay we'll have him fall in love with someone it's a very low level motivation for again defying orders for going against everything but it's kind of the only one that harry kim has Yes, I agree with all of that. And I think that, you know, more than that, though, what what it really speaks to fundamentally is that if if you look at Harry Kim as a character, if you say, okay, well, here's a guy who apparently really loves his parents. I will not say they're overbearing, but for sake of argument, let's say they're overbearing parents. Uh, You know, he goes to Starfleet Academy. He's very smart. He's very ambitious. As he says in this episode, I believe, um, you know, he was he got the dream assignment, right? I mean, fresh out of the Academy, he was a bridge officer on a starship. That doesn't happen to probably 99.9% of graduates of Starfleet Academy. And he finds himself very lucky, but at the same time, he got put into a very strange situation where he has really become um, kind of, it kind of casts an amber because on a normal ship, he probably would have been, uh, he probably would have been promoted once before yeah, yeah. already. He may have transferred already. He may have decided to go off and do something else. I mean, but he's really stuck. He can't go anywhere. There's nowhere to go unless someone dies. And really, like, the bridge officer of a starship is a pretty sweet gig. So I don't think he'd probably want to, like, yeah. become a lieutenant junior grade in charge of the plasma console or something you know what i mean yeah no but so, in, the alpha so quadru- in that sense like i guess this kind of episode is like well what else are you going to do to show harry kim as 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 growing as a character but it always comes across as as very adolescent like you know is yeah. this really what he's going to be doing he can't control himself i mean 
Like Tall seems very nice, but I don't really. And they, the the actors have good chemistry, but I'm not really getting a sense from either of them that they think this is like the love of their lives. Yeah, I mean, Tal sells it a little bit, being that she's come from an isolated world. She is somebody who wants to see everything, desperately wants to see everything else. So yeah, she probably would fall for the first halfway decent looking guy from outside just because of the exoticness of that not not to downplay their connection not to say they don't have one but she is primed to kind of like harry kim so that makes sense that that works for me um yeah i i i i I don't know because in some ways voyager is coming the Harry Kim, Bellana Torres, Tom Paris, and implicitly Seven of Nine. To me, that's kind of one generation on this ship, and then uh, the older generation being Janeway, Tuvok, Chakotay. Like, they're in kind of different age groups and different life situations, and we are seeing the younger kids growing up, right? We are seeing Tom and Bellana settling into their careers, having their relationship. We will deal with the topic of marriage in the next episode. They're growing up. Uh, Seven of Nine, we have talked a lot about that as well. And Harry Kim, I guess, is at that point too. And finally, he actually loses his virginity. I mean, that's the milestone that they've gotten for him. I don't know if that's as... And I guess that does seem a little frivolous in light of what's happened to the other characters. Yeah, and I and I think that the the part of what is so frustrating about about this particular storyline is that and I was thinking about this in, in, in Course Oblivion, which is that I this is a criticism I have had of the show in the past, but they they never really did a good job of developing a, a secondary bench of characters yeah. of of even hiring the same day players to to sort of just like fill in the background scenes in the mess hall or whatever, which would have been fairly trivial to do. And and so there's not really a sense that that in as much as anything else, Voyager is a family. Janeway likes to say that. Everybody likes to say that all the time. I never really get a sense of yeah. that in in on the show. And this kind of episode makes me realize that like more people would be pairing off, more people would be hooking yeah. up. I think that if you're in this kind of situation you're going to look for comfort in physicality. You're going to look for comfort mm-hmm. in, in, in sex, frankly. And I don't, I mean, yeah, certainly it's complicated by the fact that it's a very small ship and you have to see these people and you're going to be stuck with them for 70 years. And so there might be an initially, maybe the first year or so would be a little bit standoffish. But after that, I think people probably would start pairing off fairly yeah. quickly. But there's never really any attempt made to, to actually sh- showcase that happening. And, Part of that, of course, is I think the show focuses on the senior officers. So it's not really possible for Janeway to just yeah. like hook up with a crew member. It's not really possible for Chakotay to do that. Tuvok is not interested in doing that. Tom Paris and Bellana are dating each other. Seven of Nine is, well, she needs I mean, intensive she- therapy for about 25 years <laughs> before she's even prepared to even begin thinking about dating anyone. I mean, I'm fairly <laughs> sure that within the se- within the series we will see... That happening to Seven of Nine, that is kind of one of the only uh, developments in her her psyche and her life that she hasn't really gone to yet. But yeah, and and in general, these are all people who are passing through. So yeah, especially in the case of the senior officers, 
they're going to do the best to keep to that protocol just because it's going to suck falling for somebody else. So they're probably, I mean, Janeway has enough self-control to not even get that far. Well, because to me, though, it's like, who does Harry Kim hang out with besides Tom Paris? You know, like, I, I don't. He 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 could be a really interesting character straddling the lines between the upper and lower decks, right? Yeah. Like he, when when he was first on the show, he was twenty two, twenty three years old. Now he's five years older than that, so he's he's approaching thirty. But I, I never really got a sense that he was like hanging out with like the other like twenty two, twenty three, twenty four year olds on the ship. He always seemed to just be like, yeah, hey, Janeway, what's up, or whatever, and. I don't think he'd really be interested in like hanging out with her. I think that that you know going back now and fixing the character of Harry Kim is maybe not something that that we are prepared to do. But hey, why not? Let's do it. I mean, I certainly really... the creative staff of Voyager wasn't prepared to do it. So <laughs> no, they no they weren't. But I think Harry Kim like conceptually would yeah. be very interesting as a character. If he was the character that professionally had one foot in the world of the senior bridge officers and he was in the briefings, et cetera, et cetera. But like in the nighttime when he's off duty, he's hanging out with like the other 23 year olds and like having wild parties and shit. And or but, he could even be the, you know, the, the the young kid who's a little too precocious and hanging out with the senior staff. And that's weird because there's a generational difference there, but he doesn't quite feel at home with his own age. That's another variant of Harry Kim that would also be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. Ones that but, actually but, use who he is in his age range. Yes. No, uh, totally. Absolutely. But I guess that, that, that what is, is so frustrating about, about the disease again is that this is yet another one of a long line of episodes that there are many different directions you could take the character of Harry Kim in and to make him interesting and to give him an interesting story. And and once again, what they give us is, oh, Harry Kim needs to get his dick wet. And sure, I mean, we all like to have sex unless we're asexual. And that's a valid lifestyle. But I just I don't. I don't understand why they keep going to this row. Is this really the only thing they could do with him? Yes. Garrett Wang is very pretty. I, 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 I don't know why he didn't have a shirt off in this episode, but he should have. He did but for like, briefly because I wrote the phrase. Oh, Harry, that is true. I did write the phrase Harry Kipple to mean Harry Kim's nipple. So, <laughs> But like at the end of the day, once again, it's yeah. just portraying him as very, very naive in certain situations like this. And... I kind of am at a loss where I'm like, I don't, okay, like, he's having a good time with this Tao lady, and they seem to like each other, but they don't really seem like star-crossed lovers, so how seriously am I supposed to take this? And then the episode tries to ratchet up the tension artificially by suddenly revealing in a last-minute twist that Tall was, like, the leader of the resistance movement on this generation ship all along, and she rips off her mask, and she's cackling, and you're like... (laughs) All right, sure. I guess this is where we're going with this. I mean, the one thing that I, one of the things that I really do respect about the episode is that the Harry Kim and Tal romance and Tal's plan to blow up the supports in this generation. Like, I like that they're not really related to each other. In other words, she's not sleeping with Harry Kim to get her plan in motion. For whatever reason, she seems to genuinely like him. And, and, and that I do like about the episode. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think that that is one area in the episode, certainly, that, that makes it less cliche than it could have been. And I guess that's part of what, what is so 
weird about the disease is that it doesn't really ever kind of figure out what kind of episode it is. It's just sort of like ping-ponging from plot point to plot point and metaphor to metaphor and nothing ever really gels together. You know, there's about four different things going on in this episode and they all could have had their own in-depth examination and none of them really get any sort of chance to be examined in any sort of depth. Yeah, uh, I mean, in some ways they are doing the thing that Voyager does where it has kind of some stock plot points. In other words, we have seen generation ships and rebels like this before and so if that part is glossed over it it, it does just form i mean that that's structural stuff on which to hang the romance stuff but on the other hand but i think that like even even a very small example of this is this idea that's just kind of like dropped into the episode and never really dealt with in any way shape or form that harry kim is getting physically ill because he is being subjected yeah hormones or something that tall species the varro let off and i mean that would have been that would have been the episode if this was a tng episode like that would have been like oh this is happening we need to figure out what's going on and what does this mean am i ready to commit to this person because we can't become apart because i'm going to die if we're apart and it never really happens and it's just sort of like all right well that's happening and now we're going to move on to something else which is what voyager does like you say but it still doesn't mean it's any less satisfying when the show does that yeah because what a lot of what this episode reminded me of was the elosium that was what it was called right with um where kess is possibly going to be pregnant and a lot of that episode was hey kess's species is really weird let's 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 gloss over some of that biology, but also dealing with, as you say, this is a science fiction version that externalizes a question that a lot of people have. Am I ready to have a child? Am I ready to commit to another person? And I thought that was a fantastic episode. Uh, This one, as you say, misses the boat on that. It really just seems like a plot device so that harry is definitely caught for this because if they hadn't if he hadn't been turning if he hadn't been glowing after all that sex again on the nose um nobody would have known right because i i I think that that what makes this episode just okay is that at every turn there there's these really sort of artificial uh artificial roadblocks put in place and of course it's a television show it's narrative drama it is artificial i understand that but it doesn't have to come across as so blatantly artificial Hmm. i i I don't i mean let's talk about janeway's issue with kim having this relationship with tall in the first place and this sudden invention of this rule in starfleet that you're not supposed to hook up with an alien until you talk to your captain about it I mean, I think I thought what? this was episode was a hilarious kind of take on Captain the, the cliche of Captain Kirk goes meets an alien lady and immediately sleeps with her. Like that's the cliche in Starfleet, and this episode is addressing that. That no, in reality, they would have pages and pages of regulations because, which in its way does make sense because this is a perfect example. But imagine a version of this where she actually was sleeping with harry kim to manipulate him that's a very obvious example of why why they would have that kind of regulation in place but come on i'm gonna challenge you on that no no, it's true we have talked about this in the past as 
90s and what is it? OOs? I don't even know what to call it. As Berman era Star Trek went on and on and on, it became more and more sexually conservative. And contrast Janeway's attitude in this episode where Kim is having missionary sex with an alien. Well, I don't know if they're having missionary sex, but you know, uh, to an episode like Justice, the horny planet, where they're just like all running around and basically like everyone is fucking everyone else and no one says anything about it. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be clear. I I prefer the super horny version of Star Trek to this one, but I also like it just it 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 strikes me as extraordinarily strange. No, that, I that, think you're... that kind of thing would change so quickly. I think you're right. And is the uh implication that every time that somebody dates somebody somebody else that they've gone to the captain like did uh in the outcast did Riker go to Picard to ask for permission in that episode where he had to dress up uh in pretty earrings for the female planet did he ask Picard's permission I mean like and those are just the two examples I'm thinking off the top of my head like you're right everybody has had a love interest at some point on this show have they asked permission I don't think so really I, and, and yeah, because it. I mean, it also could be the sort of thing that's honored in the breach. Usually, in other words, for the most part, Starfleet officers are expected to keep their shit together. They're expected to use discretion. They're expected to be be adults about that. Yes, technically, you're not really supposed to do that, but most Starfleet officers understand and. There may be a situation in which the captain would say, like, listen, this is a very delicate situation. But other than that, again, this might, she might just be suddenly, school, you know, school marming something just because of her personal feelings for this. This may be a regulation on the books that nobody ever really gives a shit about. I mean, I can't picture Picard really caring about this in most cases. Right, yeah, and I and I think that there's a case to be made for there's both an in universe and a and an out of universe a criticism of this to be made because you know obviously you are going for the in universe criticism and I am more going for the out of universe criticism, but I think both are valid because at the end of the day, even if it makes some sense that there would be this sort of rule against fraternization with aliens. This is not something that Star Trek has ever really dealt with before in any real way. And like you said, I mean, Picard doesn't seem to care. Kirk certainly didn't seem to care. It could be a cover-your-ass regulation. You know, something happens. Well, we have a policy, and that officer, and they will be severely punished, and we are so sorry that this happened. You know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. But then, like, I think that this this episode and this conversation is really crystallizing something for me about Star Trek Voyager in general, which is that I think that it's the most sexually conservative of any of the Star Trek series. Yeah, I see that. No one's allowed to really have sex outside of marriage. Neelix and Kess had this very sort of, like, grade school playing house relationship. It's just odd. And, And yes, of course, Kim and Tall are fucking, but... It's never really shown. They're not even shown in bed together, I don't think. I mean, contrast that with how Riker was acting in like half the episodes of TNG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it was pretty open that, yes, R- Riker slept with that. R- Riker all the time is seen in 10-4 with a random woman, and it's very clear that the two of them are going to go back to one of the other's quarters, and it's going to be fine, and they're going to be professional about it, but this is how they get there, that this is how they enjoy their night off. Yeah. 
for all of Tom's bragging, you would think that he would be the Captain Kirk character, you know, the I'm going off on a planet and getting a girl on every, that of every species I meet. But yeah, he's I mean, and he's settled down now. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you because I think that, like, for me, and, and if you had told me that we would be talking about the Star Trek Voyager episode, The Disease, for a half hour, <laughs> I would have laughed you out of the room. But I I think that for me, what it comes down to is that we're going to have to talk about straight people again because Star Trek is a franchise that is yeah produced and written primarily by straight people. Um, and... I I struggle with the and certainly Roddenberry had his own peccadillos and Roddenberry had his own problems yeah. and he had some let's say particularly bad opinions of some women and and treated them badly and all of those kind of things but at the same time I think that if you look especially at the the early seasons of TNG you really do see an idea of sexual liberation yes. in those in those seasons that has slowly but but surely been stripped away from Star Trek. And what has taken its place is a very sort of retrograde idea of human sexuality that is monogamous, that is rooted in patriarchy, that is frankly kind of gross. And I mean, in that kind of context, I think it makes a lot of sense why it took so long for a queer character to appear on Star Trek. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I'm also thinking about the social situations in all of the three shows. Early seasons of TNG, what was what was what was wrong in that universe? Basically nothing. Yes, they'd have their problems on the week. Yes, things were weird with the Klingons, but things were really probably as peaceful as we've ever seen them. The Borg appear at some point and that changes things a little bit. Then you get into DS9 where you have an actual war going on. And then in Voyager, where you have this tiny ship in the middle of nowhere that's just desperately trying to get home, I mean, it's a case of the environment that they're in getting darker and darker, and the characters are rooting themselves deeper into conservatism, which is something that, you know, happens, a war happens, and people are, I mean, look at World War II into the 50s, you have a war and everybody kind of retreats back into social conservatism and very strong roles and things like that, very tradition and all of that. Uh, I mean, this is getting a little bit far afield and we should probably move on to course oblivion. But but I I, I don't quite agree with that because I think that for every example of society retreating into conservatism after a horrible war you can find, you can find a counterexample of that. A counterexample would be like, why more Germany in the Roaring Twenties? Yeah, so, no, I guess I guess you know. I guess more of and, and, and hell, even the Roaring Twenties in the U.S. You can find plenty of. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I guess more what I'm saying is that you can find Star Trek seems to be mirroring the paddle, pattern of something bad happens and you're going to retreat into more traditional values. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we move on to Course Oblivion, the the last thing that I want to talk about with this episode is just to briefly touch upon, uh, uh, quite frankly, the the fascinating and wonderful played scene between Harry Kim and Janeway, where Harry Kim finally stands up to Janeway, and Janeway's like, oh, oh okay, I'll, 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 you can have this one, I'll give you this one. Like, <laughs> I, I think that that 
you know, I'm not saying that that's something that is going to be paid off in any way, shape, or form down the line. But I really like that because I think it really shows if Garrett Wang had been given more material, what yeah. he could have done with it. And I like them. I mean, I think that one of the things that I love about Voyager is that Kate Mulgrew is so good at mm. playing Janeway as dismissive and a little bit condescending. And I like it when actors can give that back to her and seven of nine, obviously Jerry Ryan can do it. Mm. Whoever thought Harry Kim Garrett Wang could do it, but he can. And I mean, when he said, when he mentions Mark to her, I mean, it's like, yeah, what the fuck man. Like you just poked the bear, but nobody talks it's, about it's, Mark. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very well done. All right. Well, we're going to move on to course oblivion, but before we do that, I just want to take a quick opportunity to let you know that we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash truckaboutshow is the place where you can go to financially support this podcast. If you like what we do, if you subscribe every week and listen to it religiously, or even if you listen to it every once in a while, uh, please support us. Patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. So Course Oblivion is insane. Yeah, it was... See, I have to say, I thought this was a fantastic episode that left a horrible taste in my mouth. Like, I am, I know the question of, oh, it's not Star Trek, it's Star Trek, is something that has been happening since Next Generation. It's something we've talked a lot about in Discovery, for example. But I don't know, there feels something very nihilistically not Star Trek about this episode. And I think that's what bothers me about it. Yeah, talk about that more. I, I'm curious well, why you're getting that impression. Well, because, I mean, Star Trek has had downer endings before. That has happened. Uh, it, it, it's it's not the bleakness of the ending that bothers me, per se, but Star Trek is also a franchise that very much believes in the value of a life and believes that people do make their mark and all of that. And... This is an episode that almost refutes that, that has the, that, that goes out of its way to show that these are people who have feelings and in the same way that we have, they they are another iteration in the, here's an unusual life form and we don't even have to spend much time in this episode arguing for the dignity of their life because we are so already in that point and they just end up as a footnote to the effect of, we had a distress call and there was space dust, and that was it. it, it, it it's just a, I, a... And, I mean, this episode does a lot of points where they tent ten dangle a, oh, this could be hope. Nope, 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 nope. Screw, you know, and it's, it's fate just screwing these people over and over again, and they don't even get the fucking time cap... The fucking time capsule out. I feel like a version of this episode where the rest of... Where the prime voyager crew is able to get these messages and learn something Ooh, about that's a them. very dangerous <laughs> that's a very dangerous term to use fair careful. fair enough the the original voyager crew the quote-unquote real voyager crew if they'd been able to get the logs of the duplicates i think that would have made it a lot better because just as and this is another of my criticism of voyager's reset button and the one with the time ship and all of that they traveled back in time they reset it and nobody learned anything these people lived died and nobody learned anything and 
I guess my question is what the hell was the point of that then? If nobody's learned anything, if, if, if the universe has not been affected by these people's existence, then what's the point of any of that? And again, that's, Star Trek seems to argue to me there is always a point in existence. I don't think that I can disagree with yeah. any of that. But at the same time, I think I don't care. And I'm not trying to be dismissive. No, no, like I, I, I really – I understand what you're saying and I even agree with it to a certain point. But every once in a while, I'm okay with a nihilistic take on something. And that's fair. And I mean I guess you either lock into the wavelength of this episode or you don't. And it sounds like to me you didn't lock into the wavelength of this episode, which is fine. And we will certainly talk about all the criticisms that you made of it. But – I, I, I think it's just really well done, and I yeah. think that there is – I mean, I guess I look at it more from a storytelling perspective in that I am flabbergasted that they were able to pull this off yeah. in the sense that – one of the things that I think Voyager has been doing, which is more noticeable than perhaps it would have been on, on TNG, is that you'll drop into this episode and they'll be like, oh, well, we have the transwarp drive online and we're ready to test it. And you're like, wait, what? When, yeah. How, how, when, when did they do this? You know, and and that is built into the concept of the show, right? That is built into the the setting of the show, which is it is a continuing story of one ship trying to make it home from the Delta Quadrant 70,000 light years away. And so built into that concept, there's an idea that you are going to have at least some sort of loose continuity, yeah. that big information like that is going to be uh, telegraphed or or put in other episodes to kind of prepare you for the big reveal in one episode and voyager mostly does that i don't think it does that all the time obviously but course oblivion is so interesting to me because it seems aware of that and it's written by nick sagan and uh brian fuller so yeah I think, you know, these are these are two men that worked well together on the show that obviously have a very particular skill set when it comes to to writing television. And to me, the episode starting out saying, oh, well, we're two years away from home and Tom and Blonde are getting married, even though we never saw them get engaged and all of these kind of things. It's interesting to me because it makes me this this episode, I think, when you watch it, it really it's a test of how much you respect Star Trek Voyager as a television show, because I think that like you watching this for the first time and, and I, I saw the Netflix description. It didn't say what yeah. the actual plot of the episode was, which I'm very thankful for, because to me, it's like when you watch this and you say, OK, well, Tom and Blonde are getting married they're yeah. two years away from her. And wow, these are these are big events. But did it seem outside of the realm of possibility of the kind of thing Star Trek Voyager would just drop in on you? I mean, uh, honestly, when you, did you buy this? At I, I, I had to I stopped the episode and looked at the full episode list because it looked like I'd skipped one or two. And I wanted to make sure that I was watching the actual next episode because, yeah, it did seem weird. But at the same time, I literally have a note as, oh, well, thank God we're not going to have to actually deal with the engagement and all of that bullshit. Like they wanted to have the marriage, but, you know, thank God they didn't make that the season long arc. So <laughs> I, 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 I think and the thing with the tra- this new warp drive. Yes, it hadn't been mentioned before, but we know that they're working on it in the background. And honestly, Two years is plausible because, number one, I know there's only about two years left to the series, and 
even though at the time they didn't necessarily know that, they do know that TNG and DS9 both had seven seasons, that Voyager's production is starting to have some troubles, that everybody's getting tired, and probably, yeah, another two years is what we got, and they can fudge that two years here and there as necessary till they finish. So, yeah, it did all, it, it, it is possible that, yeah, maybe this is how they get past the, the, how they get home. It's just they're speeding it up to just get it done because they're tired of just finding these gimmicks to shave off 10 years here and there. And see, I'm glad you said that because that's one of the reasons that I love this episode because, once again, all of your criticisms of it I think are valid, yeah. but at the end of the day, this is an episode of Star Trek Voyager that is very aware of the show's shortcomings and is going to fuck with you yeah. <laughs> about them. And I have Where it's to going to say, oh, you don't, you don't respect this show. You don't actually respect its storytelling capabilities. <laughs> you look down on it, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not saying you do necessarily. No, no. I'm saying that the audience in general would be doing this. And and it pulls the rug out from you. You know, you, you, I think, what is it, like 20 minutes go by before they realize half the episode essentially goes by before they realize what's going on. And until then, you're like, wow, this is getting darker and darker. What the hell is going on? And I, there's something about it which I just I'm not sure it completely works as an episode and I'm not sure that we even needed it. But I just have to sit back and, and I and, mean. Uh, like like applaud the the chutzpah of it in a way it's funny because i mean because i i do want to make it very clear like this was a hell of an episode it is a very striking episode it's a very audacious episode and i like it for that boldness that it has because uh, 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 i was curious when we watched demon like a little bit like well i wonder what is going to happen to them are they going to create federation society on this planet what are they going to do there there are so many possibilities and actually and but i didn't expect the show to actually show us that possibility it is very coy about what it picks up and what it doesn't and i really like that there are a lot of subtle clues in there that as they're happening are just slipped in something like for example they mention the birth of a new child we've seen nothing of that but we, we I guess that makes sense. I guess like like that that's that's how the beginning of this episode works for me, you know. Oh, well, I guess that makes sense. I guess that would work. It all fits in, but then it but it does seem weird and then it becomes very clear, well, this is weird because we haven't been watching this crew. When uh Tuvok and Chicote are going through like, oh, well, this is when we met this species, then when when we met them, I I was thinking in my mind like, oh, we didn't see those episodes. So this would have been the perfect time to have a couple of little jokes about, you know, oh, remember this episode, remember that episode, that would have been cute, but that's a big, gigantic signal that, no, the reason you haven't seen these adventures is because you've never seen this crew before. You haven't been following their adventures, and that's actually really fucking clever. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I I love that stuff, and I think there's other little details about the episode as well. Like, you know, I think that one of the things that's interesting is, you know, there's there's kind of really two types of mysteries. There's mysteries that are designed for the audience to be able to figure out who the killer is or whatever, and then there's the opposite, yeah. the ones that are just you're supposed to watch and be entertained by it. And this is very much the former. I think that if you're a close watcher of Star Trek Voyager and if you are really paying attention to this episode and you are paying attention to the clues that are in this episode and even little things like, um, you know, Neelix saying, oh, well, the food we brought on six months ago isn't affected, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that that someone could perhaps 
solve the mystery. I I don't know that it's that close of an of an analogy, but, but it respects it respects the rules. It sets ground rules. It, it it respects the rules of the universe, and it never really breaks them. And I and I really appreciate that. I mean, I will say that yes, uh, through the episode, you're saying what's going on, what's going on. But as soon as they mention, oh, ten months ago, that's when we met that went to the demon class planet, like. I, I did have that flash of, oh, shit, they're duplicates. The duplicates somehow got into space. That explains this, this, and this, and this makes no sense now. They're breaking down. Like, it—and it, 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 I mean, that, that, that moment did add to kind of the existential horror of the situation, that realization that this is actually what happened. We are not dealing with the actual crew of Voyager. Right, right. And, and you know, to, to sort of like talk about one of your other criticisms of it, which is that it's sort of nihilistic, that this crew just dies and that we, we the, the, you know, the void, our Voyager crew never realizes that they're out there. There's no indication given that they have any sort of understanding of what just happened. And, but I also appreciate that because how many episodes of Star Trek in all of its iterations has the crew of that show solve the mystery, save the day, come in at the last minute and fix the problem. And this episode, they don't do that. They just die. And Voyager never knows that there was a problem in the first place, except for this vague distress signal that was put out. I think there's something really interesting about that as an idea. And then I also think that the other part of it, which is just nice to see or, or satisfying to see, is it's always kind of fun to see the main characters of the show you're watching die, which is <laughs> kind of a weird thing to say, but like a lot of TV shows will do this sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, how many times did uh, you know the Enterprise blow up in TNG, for example? I know. And... I mean, you always get the sense that the actors find it fun, too, because, you know, we get to do something. You know, uh, uh, like, if I was an actor, I would love getting death scenes. I think it would be a lot of fun to do. But, yeah, it, 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 it's... I mean, I guess my note, you know, the note that I did write when Balana dies was, okay, now it's not going to be how they stop this, but how do they reverse this? Because... Roxanne Dawson finishes out the series. As far as I know, everybody else, everybody finishes out the series at this point. If anybody dies, it's going to be a secondary character like Vork could bite it at any point. But, you know, Tom Paris is not going to get shot to death or something like that. So, yeah, I, I, and I, I, I guess it is a way for the show to not pull its punch in a way that, yes, this is that serious. And, Part of the episode is trying to offer a critic, a, a strong critique of Janeway's leadership style because, again, we have the Janeway decision of, against all sense, I'm going to go the hell home, even when most of the crew seems to agree that, yeah, no, the Demon-class planet was our home. That's probably the best place we should go, and that turn out, turns out to be the decision that damns them. Yeah, yeah, and that that's the other part of that I, that I think makes this a very strong episode is it's not just a wacky look at the side adventures of the demon 
USS yeah. Voyager, it it is saying something about Janeway as a character because, and it's also saying something about about what makes us us, about what makes us our, our, ourselves and humanity and blah blah blah, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But that is kind of implicit in that where this is a version of Voyager that has a reason to stop listening to Janeway. Yeah, <laughs> and. And I find that really fascinating because I know that's something we've said about this show before where I'm not really sure, you're not really sure why more people don't question Janeway's decisions. And sometimes they are made in haste and they are made pretty poorly. And she is stubborn and she is pig-headed sometimes and Chakotay or Tuvok or Seven of Nine or Harry Kim have to essentially yell at her to get her to change her mind. And I, what I like about this episode is that it essentially, it essentially gives everybody an opportunity to convince Janeway that she is stubborn and that mm. she is not making the right decision. And, you know, all of those times where I have sat here behind this mic saying, I don't understand why everyone is just standing around going along with this. Well, here's the opportunity. They're not standing around just going for this. Yeah, uh, uh, in the real uh, Voyager crew, and I'm going to stop putting the air quotes on it because I think we've I've made my point, but um, in the real Voyager crew, everybody, at least in Starfleet, has made a commitment to observe the chain of command, that for better or for worse, Janeway is the captain, and they have to respect it. They have renewed their commitment, even the, uh, even the Ma- former Marquis have made that commitment and i think the 47s what the 37s 37s the, 37s yeah i think the 37s was that moment where they are all making that commitment that yes whatever janeway's decision we may not agree with it but we are going to follow that and what uh, uh, other than moments here and there the show has gone with this but this is a version of the crew that never really did make that commitment and in fact maybe many of them would not make that commitment given this information and i don't know i i i I, like we we finally have a moment in where chakotay doesn't just say well i don't agree with this but you're the like he is putting his foot down much more severely than he ever has before and as janeway too late admits he was right well, because yeah, because I, I I think what this is, what this really comes down to, and, and and this might get a little grandiose, but bear with me, is that you know part of what makes society work, part of what makes this whole thing work, why people are not just knocking each other down in the streets and murdering each other, yeah. is this sort of like implicit idea that um, you are not allowed to do that. That there is a there's this sort of like fictional line that you cannot cross. And yeah. if you do cross it, bad, bad things are going to happen to you. And that's generally how society functions. That's generally why we can walk down the street and not get robbed all the time. And in a similar way, I think that's how Voyager works, that no one has ever crossed Janeway before in a real way because they kind of don't believe that they can that that it's not something that is done it is taboo it is outside of the realm of the possible and it is it is you know one of the worst things that you could ever possibly imagine doing yeah go back to tuvix where everybody is not making eye contact and pointedly like this is a terrible thing but we can't 
countermand that. It's it's which is and, and again, the more I think about Tudix, the more disturbing that episode does become. Yes, thank you. No one else is with me on this, but I think no, that no, because really, really fucking disturbing. Because it is the crew doing something that they don't believe is right because they are ordered to. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's what they always say: like, don't follow orders. But but that's kind of what I'm getting at is it that's, and that's why I like this episode so much because it's very smart and it understands that idea and that all of these people on the duplicate Voyager think that they are the Voyager crew and Janeway thinks she's Janeway and Chakotay thinks she's Janeway or Chakotay thinks she's Janeway no <laughs> Chakotay thinks he's Chakotay and all of these things and and everyone thinks they're themselves and then as soon as they find out that this is not the case that they are these biomimetic duplicates yeah. That the, the the fiction has been punctured, that the balloon of the status quo has been popped, and they realize that they don't have to listen to her because who is she? Yeah, and this episode lets Janeway be wrong in a way that we haven't seen before. Again, Kirk and Picard can be wrong, but by the ep- end of the episode, they'll realize the error of their ways and fix it and apologize. Cisco may do something, may may make some moral compromises, but at the end of the day, he's doing it because he has no good options, and that is the best one that's going to save the most lives, and he'll figure it out and deal with the consequences. But this episode says no. Janeway's stubbornness, which has no reason, as this episode makes pretty clear, not only are they probably not going to be welcome on Earth— they are not going to be physically comfortable on Earth because it's not their environment. It's not their home. They have a home. They should go back to the home and figure it out. If they want to explore the galaxy, they are welcome to do so, but they need to go back home first and fix themselves. And Janeway just says, no, we've got to get back to the Alpha Quadrant. That was the mission the entire time, and her refusal to abandon that is dead wrong, and it gets the entire crew killed. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess like, the other thing is is just to kind of like go back to your idea that that this is really nihilistic because you you would have wanted them to to know what happened that the you know the real Voyager crew, um, at least the existence of this these these people. And I, I wonder why. Like, I kind of get why, but at the same time, I don't know if the point of the episode would have been well served if our Voyager crew discovered the existence of them. I think part of the point of this was the danger of blindly following someone until it's too late. And if, if it had been mitigated even a little bit by them getting the time capsule out, I think it would have undercut the the message of the episode. Well, I guess my one thing of that is that that lesson about the dangers of blindly following somebody gets lost is only told to the audience and Janeway really needs to know that listen you ca- you are capable of making the wrong decision and getting everybody killed i i i i don't know unless we think that she's learned that lesson already i don't know that she's learned that lesson already but i also don't know that star trek voyager is going to go yeah. there <laughs> yeah I mean, maybe that's it maybe maybe that's maybe that's it it's like, not I think- yeah like I think episodes like this and episodes like Night and and some other episodes I could name are toying with the idea, are toying with criticizing Janeway, but they're not outright going yeah. there. And I think that what you just said there, having Janeway be confronted with 
the harsh reality of that would have been too much. And then also it would have been easy for her to weasel out of that because that was, well, that wasn't her. Right. Like that wasn't me. So how, how is that possibly going to affect my decision-making because that biomedic life form? Well, eh, you know, it it thought it was me, but it wasn't me. And I have all these abilities and I have this, you know, ineffable. Yeah. 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 And so I am going to be fine. Maybe. It would have been interesting to see her reaction to that. It would have been interesting to see Tom and Bellana's reaction to the wedding video. But yeah, I... well, that that raises an interesting question. Um, Tom and Bellana are not married, um, and they the fact it almost seems like this is them having their cake and eating it too, like. Having a wedding on TV, having Tom and Bellana's wedding on TV, yeah, that's something cool to see. Oh, I can see a lot of people wanting to see it, but that suggests to me that they're not actually going to get married and that their future as a couple is not much longer because this is, again, this is the way of, we'll show the wedding, but we can't actually really have them go through with it. I don't know. But that's my... That's an interesting takeaway, and I will leave it at that. Okay. We have Harry Kim destroying Voyager again at the ending, though. I, 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 that is true. I, I, I like yeah. that every alternate Harry Kim just blows everything up once he gets a moment of responsibility. I, I think the show is trying to tell us that Harry Kim has some deep-seated issues with depression, not not being happy, not being satisfied. I don't know. I'm picking up on something here. <laughs> I mean, all of the characters are depressed as hell, but, you know, it's Voyager. Deanna Troy is not on the ship like she should be. Well, like I said earlier, maybe she appears. (gasps) Maybe she doesn't. We'll just have to wait and see. I guess my biggest curiosity about Voyager at this point is, are we getting another Q episode? And I honestly have no idea. It could go either way. As most things in life, I think that that is probably best left as a mystery until we reach that point. If we ever do, I'm not saying we do or not. I think we'll leave it there. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just talked about, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trackaboutshow.com. As we said earlier, you can check out our Patreon. Patreon.com slash trackaboutshow is the place to go to be cool and give us money. It also supports our other podcast tuning in this week on our other podcast. We are talking about the X-Files, Triangle, and Dreamland. So go to tuninginshow.com and check that out. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Truck About Show is our username there. So like us and follow us and share us and all that kind of stuff. And as always, Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Thank you very much. All right, next week, it's a very strange week, Richard, and okay. I think that... I, Will it break I'm me? Not, Am I'm, I going to be broken at the end of this week? Is this going to be a, you, one of those weeks? You might be. I, I've i been very... I'll be honest. So, like, I have known this week has been coming for a long time. I am not even saying that the two episodes next week are particularly bad, but... They're just very, very strange in very particular ways that we will talk about. They're sing. It's a singular week. It's a singular week on on Star Trek Voyager. It's a singular week on Trek about next week as we talk about the fight and think tank. <laughs>